Let us turn now for our scripture reading to the book of Revelation, chapter 9. The book of Revelation, and the ninth chapter. Let us hear God's holy word together. This is God's word. The Lord, give us ears to hear and hearts to receive his word this night. And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth. And to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of the pit, as the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. And there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth, and unto them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power, and it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. And to them it was given that they should not kill them, but that they should be tormented five months, and their torment was as the torment of a scorpion when he striketh a man. And in those days shall men seek death and shall not find it, and shall desire to die, and death shall free from them. And the shapes of the locusts were like unto horses prepared unto battle, and on their heads were, as it were, crowns like gold, And their faces were as the faces of men, and they had hair as the hair of woman, and teeth, their teeth, were as the teeth of lions. And they had breastplates, as it were breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was as the sound of chariots of many horses running to battle. And they had tails like unto scorpions. And there were stings in their tails, and their power was to hurt men five months. And they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, but in the Greek tongue hath his name Apollyon. One woe is past, And behold, there come two woes more hereafter. And the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar which is before God, saying to the sixth angel which hath the trumpet, Loose the four angels which are bound in the great river Euphrates. The four angels were loosed, which were prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year, for to slay the third part of men. And the number of the army of the horsemen were two hundred thousand thousand. And I heard the number of them. And thus I saw the horses in the vision, and them that sat on them, having breastplates of fire, and of jacinth, and brimstone, And the heads of the horses were as the heads of lions, 
and out of their mouths issued fire and smoke and brimstone. By these three was the third part of men killed, by the fire and by the smoke and by the brimstone which issued out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails. For their tails were like unto serpents and had heads, and with them they do hurt. And the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues, yet repented not of the works of their hands. They should not worship devils, and idols of gold, and silver, and brass, and stone, and of wood, which which neither can see, nor hear, nor walk. Neither repented they of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their fornication, nor of their thefts. Amen. This is God's holy word. And may the Lord be pleased to grant his blessing upon the public reading and then give light, illumination, and application to his word here this night. Well, dear friends, let me ask you please to turn your prayerful attention there to the book of the Revelation, chapter 9, that I read to you in your hearing earlier. We come to this chapter in our series of studies. It has been a good while now since we've been going through the book of Revelation. And I remember at one time me saying to you, uh, be very careful uh, not to be those people who come to the book expecting sensationalism. It's not a sensationalist book. Don't look uh, at these things that we have read here and look at them sensationally. Many people take things very often literally that are not meant to be literal. And we've proven that many, many a time, that many of the things that we read are literal, that we must take literally, and some things are not to be taken literally. And the key always when studying any part of the Bible is to look very, very carefully at the details which we're studying. And I trust we will hear once again this evening. Maybe you have read this passage of Scripture and you've uh, been somewhat puzzled. And it may just well be that you have not looked very carefully at some of the details uh, that we find in this passage. And I trust uh, that with a little bit of groundwork and careful looking, that maybe some of these mysteries will become uncovered. Of course, the Word of God is not only self-testing, but it's self-interpreting. And may the Lord help us this evening. So we come now to chapter 9 that I read to you in your hearing. And really we come now to what is described here, it's said is in the first verse, the fifth trumpet. And we have seen, haven't we, the, in the last chapter, four trumpets. The trumpets, we've seen, are warnings. And God is sounding a warning to the world. And we know that these trumpets are not given so that the world will repent because God doesn't do things, if you like, um, without purpose. We could say that everything God does has a plan. 
and has a purpose. The trumpets will serve uh, that which will make men more culpable even in their sin. As God warns and God sends these trumpets, we could also say are sort of like many judgments in the earth. And despite the fact that God sends them, we read at the close of this chapter, neither repented they of their murders, nor their sorceries, nor of their fornication, nor of their thefts. And if you look at the first verse, the first verse, or the verse before that, verse 20, has to do with the first table of the law. That is, they worshipped other things than God. And then verse 21 has to do with the second table of the law, the last six commandments. So the trumpets really are warnings. And it will make, as it were, their guiltiness even more apparent when God comes. And in fact, when God casts men into hell, they still don't repent. So don't even think that hell itself will make men repent. They never will repent. They don't want to repent. It just reminds us how hard the human heart is. We will read later on in the book of the Revelation how men are being cast into hell and they still do not repent. The human heart is so averse to God, is hatred to God. Now these are warnings, these trumpets are warnings that take place down through the entire gospel age. Remember I said there are seven cycles. And these trumpets are one of those cycles, as it were. What are the seven sevens that there are? Well, first of all, there are the seven candlesticks, which are the churches. We're told that in chapter 1. The seven churches are the seven candlesticks. And then there is Christ, who has the seven spirits, fully endued with the Spirit, and he walks amidst his lampstands, he who has the seven spirits and who walks amongst his churches, encouraging them, leading them, guiding them. And then we saw the third, seventh, or of the seven cycles, which were the seven seals. Do you remember? And uh, by the way, I'm just interjecting now that I mentioned last week, I'm working on a little diagram for you that will hope to uh, put these things a little bit more clearly into your mind. But these cycles are running in parallel. They're running what we call synchronously. So we have the seven seals, thirdly, the decrees of God. And four of those seven seals are represented by four different color horses. And the first is the primary one, isn't it? The Rider on the white horse, because the one on that horse is, we know the Lord Jesus, because much later on we see him not with one crown, but with many crowns upon his head, Revelation 19, verse 11 to 15. And uh, the other three horses are all subservient to his purposes. Of course, he is governing all things, and he alone was worthy to unloose the seals. The seals are God's decrees, the things that God has decreed that should happen throughout the gospel age. These 
this last epoch. And now we're in the midst of the seven trumpets, really, which began uh, in the chapter 8 we saw last week. And then there will be seven plagues or seven golden vials, which are, again, judgments. So at the time there are warnings, there are judgments. All these things, again, are happening at the same time. They're running in parallel. And then there is the seven heads of the beast and the great harlot that we'll consider. And then, of course, she will be revealed and is revealed. And uh, then this final judgment day coming. At the end of each of those synchronous cycles, we see judgment day and we see God's people in heaven. So it's the same journey, as it were, but seen from different vantage points. Different angles, seen, first of all, from the church's perspective, and then seen from Christ's perspective. He who has the seven spirits, and then seen from the decrees of God, and then seen now from the trumpets, and uh, then seen from the plagues, and then we'll see how the false church is involved in all of this throughout the gospel age. Now this, let me say, is the only way you can possibly reasonably make sense of the book of the Revelation. Because if you have a, a premillennial view, there are lots of problems with that. Well, first of all, the idea of Christ ruling and reigning upon earth, a glorified Christ with unrepentant men, is madness. And then, what will that worship look like? Even men like Mr. John MacArthur say, well, they must have to go back to animal sacrifice. Well, that would be a strange, in fact, a blasphemous thing to go back to animal sacrifice at the coming of the Lord Jesus. And how can sinful men possibly stand in the presence of an altogether glorified Christ? What will it be? Apache attack helicopters fighting the Invincible, omnipotent Christ? Will it be nuclear war? It's madness. When he comes, we are told, every eye will see him. He will come upon the clouds of heaven. So I say this is the only feasible and possible way of understanding the book of the Revelation. Premillennialism, by the way, is fairly new in terms of Christendom. Only in the last few centuries... Did it become popular? Amillennialism was, by and large, the majority view. And I'm not saying majority view trumps, but it's an interesting fact, isn't it, nonetheless? Now, as we've said, we've looked at the first four trumpets, and now we come chapter 9, verse 1. The fifth angel sounded... And I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth. And to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. Now, some say here that this is Christ. But that's very hard to conceive for a number of reasons. If you turn to Luke chapter 10, we have a reference here. And we know Satan is a fallen angel. And uh, 
certainly the things that we read here about this star that's fallen and the power that's given to him cannot be ascribed to Christ. But we notice here in Luke ten seventeen, and the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. Now notice, and he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Now this was at the time. Remember what he said, if I, by the finger of God, cast out devils, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. At this particular time, we know Satan had already fallen, hadn't he, even before the Garden of Eden. But in a sense, when Christ came and he inaugurated, he brought in his kingdom, he said, surely the kingdom has come. And when that came and the Lord came into this world, Satan began to lose more and more power and more influence in this world. That is for certain. And although he is cast down, he still has considerable power, as we'll read in this verse. Power was given to him. He was given, as it were, the key of the bottomless pit. And we'll see what will come out of this bottomless pit. So, I I do believe it, it is speaking here of not the Lord Jesus, but rather of Satan, and certainly his minions. Satan has many minions, has many evil spirits, a great vast entourage, a train of evil spirits. And in fact, if you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, we see what great influence and power he has even in this world. Even when Paul is writing, after Christ has ascended up into heaven, he says here concerning the believers who now are converted, but who once walked, he says, notice after Ephesians 2, 2, verse 2, after the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. So Satan has a very real influence in this world. He's known as the prince of this world, who has blinded the minds of them that believe not. And we're told here, to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. Now, in this sense, Satan has been granted, hasn't he, power. Keys represent power. And he is able to release great, terrible, and evil power. There is much evil in this world that cannot be denied. And we're told that he even works now in the sons of disobedience. Also, if you turn to Ephesians 6, you notice there in Ephesians 6, Paul speaks of the very fact that uh, there are evil principalities and powers, rulers of the darkness. He says in Ephesians 6, 11, put on the whole armor of God. He's speaking here to Christians that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. He has real wiles, friends. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers, of the darkness of this world against, notice, spiritual wickedness in high places. Satan 
Young people is a very real enemy. You know, we mustn't do as the world does, sort of caricature him as a little red devil with three prongs. He's an evil spirit seeking to devour, as Peter says, even as a roaring lion. And uh, he can do great harm. His wrath is great, furthermore, even now. If you just turn with me to Revelation 12, we mustn't think that somehow Satan, although, of course, is bound, but he still can do great harm. Revelation 12, verse 12. We read, Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth, notice that he hath but a short time. And when the dragon saw that he was cast, notice there, unto the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. Now that was true. When Christ, the man-child, was in the world, he persecuted him greatly, didn't he? And he's still in the world. And we're told there in the previous verse that he, knowing that his time is short, he has great wrath. He knows, as it were, his days are numbered. And yet he is a formidable enemy. We mustn't think that he cannot do great harm. Now you notice in verse 2, he opens this one, the great pit of hell, not the lake of fire, because that will soon come. The lake of fire is being prepared now for the devil and his angels and all them that believe not. But notice, and he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of the pit, as the smoke of a great furnace. Verse 2, And the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. So this is interesting language. Let us be careful. Not literal. Imagine it here. We're thinking of evil spiritual darkness. And as hell, as it were, is opened, there is a darkness that comes over, a spiritual darkness and a stupor in this world, so that the world is, in fact, blinded by it. That's what Paul says, doesn't he? He says the world is blinded, blinded by Satan. Now, this is not a literal darkness over the earth, as some people might imagine. Oh, that would be too obvious, wouldn't it? But it is a spiritual darkness. It is a spiritual wickedness. And the forces here are, as you'll see, they're so influential upon this world. The forces of hell. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 6. We wrestle against these things. And now you notice, just as smoke blurs vision, and it stifles life, you, you inhale smoke, you cough, don't you? And it, you can't see. Imagine a great mist, a cloud of smoke. So is Satan here. He blinds. And there came, verse 3, out of the smoke, locusts upon the earth. Now we'll look at this. The locusts don't come out of the earth. 
but they come out of the smoke. That's very key to understanding. The locusts do not crawl out the earth, but they come, as it were, out of the smoke, the mist, the confusion. And these locusts cause great spiritual hurt to men. This is not a physical damage, as we'll see. This is not a physical infliction. But this is spiritual darkness upon this earth. Because Satan has blinded. And he does blind by his evil influences. In uh, 2 Corinthians 4.3 we read, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. Now notice, 2 Corinthians 4.3, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. There is a spiritual darkness and stupor all over this world, my friends. The pit is already open. Darkness has already prevailed over the world. And we read, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. You see, Satan has blinded. There's a darkness. He controls the media. He controls all kinds of things in this world. Ethoses, uh, the way people think. He's in the universities. He's in the schools. He's blinded the mind. The mind of people in this world. And so we read in verse 3, And they came out of the smoke, locusts upon the earth. Not out of the earth. It's very key that you notice this. For many years when I used to read this, I used to think, oh, the locusts are coming out of the earth. But they're not coming out of the earth. They're coming out of the smoke, out of the mist. And unto them was given power. We're not to look for real locusts, ten feet high, you know, crawling all over the earth, that we've got to kill with rifles and artillery and all the rest. This is not what we're speaking about here. We're speaking about spiritual darkness. And you notice there are no scorpions here. But the locusts have tails as scorpions. Do you notice that? Very key that we notice some of these essential details. Otherwise we get bogged down. And they came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth, and unto them was given power. As the scorpions of the earth have power... So do these locusts. Now what is the power? And it was commanded them. But by the way, it was commanded them. Just as the Lord Jesus commanded evil spirits to come out the pigs, the swine, you remember with legion, they're all under his authority. While Satan has power and has authority, he's limited And it was commanded then that they should not hurt the grass of the earth. It's interesting. These locusts, locusts, what do they normally eat? They eat grass. They eat herbs. They can destroy an entire crop. We've seen them in Australia. We're not talking about these physical locusts. These are spiritual ones. Because you notice, they don't eat anything on the earth. Neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God on their foreheads. 
They don't devour the men, but they torment them. Do you see that? We're not told that they devour men. They're not walking around eating people. But they torment men. Who are they? Them who have not the seal of God on their foreheads. In other words, the people that are not elect. Lost people. They are tormented by them. So these locusts, they come out of the smoke, not the ground, not out of the earth, as many imagine. And as I said, that's very important to grasp. Because if we don't, we lose the meaning then. So these are not physical locusts. But what God does in judgment is this world that rejects God, that hates God, God in judgment allows Satan to torment this world. This world that denies him. This has nothing to do with devastation of crops. But here, out of the smoke, there's this spiritual darkness in all the world. Come these unseen, as it were, locusts devouring. Not to eat crops, not to hurt men physically, or they don't even kill the unbeliever. If only they could. We read here that men want to escape death, but they can't. It's worse. If only these men could die. But do you think that's how the world is? This unbelieving world, let me say this, is living in a sense of torment. Because it, it, it sees, it, and you've got to think of it, the more this world continues on in its sin and perpetuates in its sin, we've got to be fair, the world is becoming more and more of a materialistic world, isn't it? And men torment themselves by hanging on to all their goods, don't they? And it becomes more of a torment for a man to live in this world with increased goods. He's living in torment. And as it were, these scorpions torment the mind. They torment the soul. And if only a man could die. See, life doesn't make sense if you don't have God in your life. It's empty. It's a vain world. And to them it was given that they should not kill them but they should be tormented five months. Now, again, everything's in measure. This torment is in measure. The time of torment is measured. The Lord places his limits, doesn't he, on Satan. And uh, you notice, like a scorpion, scorpion won't kill you, but it will hurt. These locusts have tails like scorpions. But the sting is so painful. I, I mean, I have been stung by a scorpion in Africa. Very painful. But you don't die. It's excruciating. So men are in this world when they deny God. It's a tormenting life without God, isn't it? Can you remember Legion? 
There was in the caves, cutting himself day and night, in torment. That's what we read. Nobody could bind him. And that's really a picture of the human heart, isn't it? You can't bind the human heart. What did Solomon say? Solomon was given great opportunity to examine life and to survey people. He was given great wealth. And the more wealth he had, in fact, the more he was vexed. The more he was tormented. Remember what he said? Ecclesiastes 1.14 I've seen all the works that are done under the sun. Behold, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. And you know, the more Solomon had, the more he realized he had to leave behind, especially to a foolish son, Rehoboam. And it, it, Solomon tried everything. He even tried laughter. He, tried, he says he tried parties. He tried wine. He tried everything. He said all of that, the world, and all that it had to offer, he built large palatial places. He built fountains. He even gave himself to know wisdom and he said madness and folly and I perceive that all of this also is vexation of spirit. He understood what it was to live under the sun without God. It was a vain life. And really that's the world. Satan will tell you, get the world and you'll get happiness. But it'll lead to more and more sorrow. Solomon, at the end of all of his life, he said that I looked on all my works and my hands that I had wrought and on the labor that I had labored to do, and behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. And that's how people go, friends, to the grave. And you see people tormented by life and can be tormented by all kinds of things, even illness suddenly can be taken away. Mental health. So these men who are hurt here, those who are not sealed, are because they don't have the truth. The smoke and the locusts that come and pervade over the earth torments them. They don't die, we're told, but the sting is so excruciating. It's the sting also of death, isn't it? I live today, but tomorrow I die. And what after that? Whose will all these things be? Where am I going? What is the meaning of life? That's the torment. But with the elect, there's life. The elect are not touched. I was thinking, in preparation of that time of the, the ten plagues over Egypt, and one of the, the, the worst plagues was the plague of darkness. And that's really what we're thinking about here. The plague of darkness. There's a darkness all over the world, isn't there? Think, think of what happened. You, you, you should know that plague, what happened. It says there in Exodus 10, verse 21, And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness all over the land of Egypt, even darkness which they may which may be felt. So the people could feel the darkness. And Moses stretched forth his hand toward heaven, and there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. 
They saw not one another. That's the Egyptians. They couldn't even see. They couldn't see each other, even in the home. Neither rose any from his place for three days. Imagine that, sat in your house three days. But then we read, but all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. That's a miracle. But my friends, that's a picture, isn't it? If we are saved, we have the light of Christ. We know where we're going. We know the meaning of life. We're not tormented with this world. We're not lost. We have purpose. We have meaning of life. We have everything. The world is in darkness. John, does he not say, and the world lieth in darkness. And that's a torment. You see people getting in their cars. They've got to buy a new car next month. Because the old car, though it's still new, is not good enough. It's torment. People are not happy. They don't have meaning of life. Well, you notice as we move on the description of the locusts, it's very symbolic and therefore very telling. Verse 7, And the shapes of the locusts were like unto horses. Now, remember, this is a vision, because we're told that as we move on. And the shapes of the locusts were like unto horses prepared unto battle. And on their heads were, as it were, crowns like gold. They look. What do they look like? They look victorious. That's the symbol of a crown of gold. And that's the world. The world says, my way is victorious. And their faces were like faces of men. Not faces of beasts, by the way. But friendly. Faces of familiar faces. Faces of men. And they had hair as the hair of woman. Woman's hair is beautiful. They look friendly. They look beautiful. But ah, look. And their teeth were as the teeth of lions. Could tear you apart. You see, that this is how the devil tempts, doesn't he? You think of the language here. Heads, crowns of gold. Faces of men, familiar. Nothing to be afraid of. Hair like women. In fact, beautiful. But look at the teeth. Rip you apart. That's the thought. While they may appear to be like men and even beautiful like women, they're lethal. We've got to say all the ways of the world are lethal, aren't they? Something else. And they had breastplates, as it were, breastplates of iron. And the sound of their wings was as the sound of chariots of many horses running to battle. And they had tails like unto scorpions. So they weren't scorpions, but they had these sting tails and they were stings in their tails, and the power was to hurt men five months. Again, it's just being repeated for emphasis' sake. Again, it's everything's limited. But men still don't repent. And they had a king over them. Now, by the way, locusts do not have a king over them. 
If you turn to Proverbs 30 and the verse 27, locust, it says there, the locust have no king, yet go they forth all of them by bands. You notice that? But here, that's Proverbs 30, verse 27. The locusts have no king, yet go they forth of all them by bad. These are very different. These locusts, these minions, these evil spirits that do men harm, have a king over them. Reminds you, there's one behind it, a destroyer. And they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit. Verse 11, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, but in the Greek tongue his name Apollyon. And we, we've all read, I trust, John Bunyan's works. Read about Apollyon, the name being destroyer. So these evil tormentors, these spirits, are led by one great king, the king of the underworld, I believe to be Satan. Now we read here, verse 12, one woe is past. That's, and by the way, the, the three last woes are the worst. Three last trumpets. And behold, there come two woes more hereafter. It's just an announcement of the sixth and seventh trumpet. Now notice the sixth trumpet, verse 13. And the sixth angel sounded... And I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel, which had the trumpet, loose the four angels which are bound in the great river Euphrates. Now if you just turn back to Revelation 8, this really is an answer to the prayer of the saints. In uh, Chapter 8, verse 3. And another angel came and stood at the altar having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense that he should offer it. Now notice, with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne, and the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hands. So this is an answer, really, to these prayers. Here in now verse 13. Well, the river Euphrates in the Old Testament, by the way, always represented those nations like Assyria and Babylon, nations that were symbolical of the world. Babylon, we know, even in, here in the book of the Revelation, is symbolical of the world. And the Church of Rome, really, which is of the world, and that has got this world drunk by its iniquity. Absolutely. The great harlot. But ultimately we have to say this. As these are released, God holds men in derision. This is an answer to the attack. We read in Psalm 2, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. 
He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. God will have the nations in confusion, my friends. As the world seeks to attack the church, and as the saints pray, God will hear their prayer. And God will bring to naught the plans of the devil. Now you notice in verse 15 what John sees. He sees a great army in a field of battle. And there are so many horsemen here. Literally, it says 200,000, thousand. That's 200 million. Now, is the number literal? We don't know. Verse 15. And the four angels were loosed, which were prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year for to slay the third part of men. Now, again, it's limited. All of this darkness and all of this destruction, it's all limited. God is on his throne. That's, you know, let's not get too bogged down in the detail. What we're saying is that God has everything in measure. Everything is in control. It's given exact judgment, exact time, exact consequences. It's a vast number here. And what we could say is, as we look at these trumpets, we've got to see that these things are happening in parallel to the seals. Do you remember what we said? The seals are running in parallel with the trumpets, as do the vials and the bowls and so on. Everything is running in unison, in parallel. It's just another way of seeing it. It's not like there's another judgment day. It's not like there is another, there's some sort of Armageddon, if you like. World Armageddon. These are things in the unseen world. And everything is measured. These are, and we've thought about it, the famines, the pestilences, the earthquakes, the calamities. These things that we saw in the second, the third, the fourth, and the sixth seals. And they will be again seen in the vials and the bowls and the judgments that are poured out. Lest it be an endless cycle of judgment, 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 and then seven judgment days. And that just wouldn't make sense. The meaning here is that these trumpets are sounding. Judgments are taking place in all the earth, even now. What's the message? The message is the world is a sinking ship. I remember when I worked offshore, if there were sounds of the horn of the ship, certain sounds, the ship was sinking. And you'd better get in the lifeboat and escape for your life. And same with these trumpets. The world is a sinking ship. That's the message. Yet men, as we will read also in the the book of the Revelation, they will go down, as it were, to the bottom of the abyss with all of their gold, with all of their music, with the world. They will go down with it to hell. That is the message of the Bible in the book of the Revelation. It's a sinking world. God is warning. While they are trumpets, 
There are also sort of many judgments. A measure of men are taken. It's not final judgment, but there is coming a great day. When all those that even died will come out of the graves and stand before Almighty God and enter into a second death where there is no escape, where there is nothing but eternal wrath. It's a fearful thing, isn't it? What is the message? God is angry with sinners every day. If you turn with me to Psalm 7, verse 10. Psalm 7, verse 10. My defense is of God, says the psalmist, which saveth the upright in heart. God judgeth the righteous. Now notice these words. God is angry with the wicked every day. There's not a day that goes past, my friends, that God is not angry with this world. I was disgusted a little while ago, and I saw a church sign produced by what was used to be a well-known Christian publishing organization. And the, the poster said, God thinks you're wonderful. But my Bible says when God looks down, he sees that none doeth good. The message is, sinners have offended a holy God, and they continue to offend God. And so the general meaning of the trumpets here is very clear. Our Lord Jesus Christ, who rules and he is exalted above all things, is unfolding his decrees, and everything is coming to pass, and he is, by various means, either by Satan or by himself directly, inflicting upon this earth disasters in every sphere of life, both physical and spiritual. But men will not repent. And he's doing this as well because the blood of the martyrs is precious to him. It's also, as we've seen, in answer to the martyrs' prayer and to the saints who were alive too. Solomon. Verse 17, and I saw the horses in the vision and them that sat on them having breastplates of fire and of jacinth and brimstone and the heads of the horses were as heads of lions. You notice here as we we read this in verse 18 how there's fire and brimstone. This brings us back to when? Sodom and Gomorrah. What was that? There was judgment. God did not spare those ancient cities but destroyed them. This is all part, isn't it? Not only warnings, but they are judgments. Speaking of a greater judgment to come. And in spite of all these voices, notice verse 20. Foolish and stubborn men still transgress both the first commandment, we could say even the first four commandments, the first table of the law, 
And the rest of the men which were not killed, verse 20, by these plagues yet repented not of the works of their hands that they should not worship devils, evil things, and idols of gold. People make their own kinds of idols, don't they? It doesn't have to be a literal idol, but it can be things, stuff. Whatever you put before God is your idol. And silver, and brass, and stone, and of wood, which neither can see, nor hear, nor walk. Now the great indictment to all mankind is this. And by the way, what you will see in the second table of the law, verse 21, is all sins flow out of the fact that we abrogate the first commandment, or we men neglect the first commandment. If you have no God to love, obey, and worship, you become your own little God, and you live as a little devil in this world. All sin, and let me say this, is a consequence of this one great sin, man does not love God and honor God. That's where all sin really comes from, doesn't it? Why did David do what he did? At that time he wasn't loving God with all of his heart, his soul, his mind, his strength. He put himself first. All other sins flow from that one great sin, friends. That's it. Neither, and we have the second table of the law, verse 21, neither repented they of their murders. Abortion is murder. And it goes on every day. Nothing less than that. It's murder. Nor of their sorceries, nor of their fornication, nor of their thefts. Men didn't repent. They just didn't change their ways. It's my life. I live how I want. This is solemn, isn't it? Instead of penitence, what do men do? Throughout the ages, they blaspheme God, even as the source of all their sufferings. The fact that they even suffer, they charge God with that. If God's God, why doesn't he sort out the tsunamis? the earthquakes, the murder, the violence in the world. Yet he won't look at his own heart, will he? Again, friends, let me say, sovereign grace should humble us. What's made us to differ tonight? God has put light in our hearts. Think of the Egyptians in darkness. I mentioned that plague. But think of the Israelites. There was light in their house. You, you have light. Who put the light there? God did. Who made you a Christian? One could say, who made somebody an Israelite in those days? God made them an Israelite. Who made you a Christian? God made you a Christian. Who gave you the new birth? God did. You didn't say, uh, I think 
the new birth's a good idea, I'll decide to be born again. Oh, you has he quickened. You were born again. And you were shown the emptiness of this world. You were shown the deceitfulness of sin. And you were shown the loveliness of Christ. Sovereign grace has made you and me to differ. We're not tormented by the locusts of these worlds, are we? The darkness. And there is darkness pervading the land, isn't there? Christ has shed the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in our hearts by his grace. And may we go on in grace. May we walk humbly before our God. And we will rejoice. We'll thank him when this passing world is done. Amen.